Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 77 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. Episode 77, a special shout-out to David Peterson, who I believe debuted in that number. Anthony Bonda, what an era that was. And Chance Sisko, uh, who wore it throughout different periods of an interesting 2021 Mets season. So number 77, not exactly an iconic number in Mets history, but surprisingly, plenty of players have worn it in a short period of time. We're going to go through the international signings that the Mets made today. Two big ones at the top that I'm really curious uh, what Joe is thinking with these as they add some big-time talent to their prospect pool on the international market. We're going to hint at a little bit of MLB draft talk, and then we're going to go full swing into that on Thursday's YouTube stream around 4.30, 5 o'clock. And as always, we're going to be mailbag heavy because baseball is locked out, and you guys are going to dictate what the show talks about. So, Joe, how are we doing, man? Let's bring you in. What's going on? Everything's going really good. It's a, it's a long, long lockout. Uh, we at least got some semblance of traction in the sense that an offer was made, uh, not the seemingly best offer that I've ever heard for a collective bargaining agreement, but they're at least beginning the talk. So hopefully the uh, MLBPA comes back with a counteroffer soon and then they could really get down the brass tacks because the reality is that if, if this season is to start on time, they need at minimum three weeks of spring training. And it's not like you make a CBA and then you go tomorrow spring training starts. Like you need to give them probably a week to get there because you have people with visas. You have all things that you need to work through. Realistically, for for the season to start on time, in my opinion, you need an agreement by like, I don't know, February 20-somethingth. And that's like a month from now. And it surely doesn't seem like that end is clearly in sight. So hopefully when the MLBPA comes back with their counteroffer, uh, they're able to really start hammering into the details because... It's it's been frustrating, obviously. Uh, like you said, the it's a big thanks to all our listeners that's really driving this show. Like we love doing your questions, but now we're even more reliant on them. And you guys never fail to come up with good stuff. So uh, super glad to keep doing the show. And you know the Mets still do stuff. You know we'll talk international signings, and you know it's, it's never ever boring. But man, I want this lockout to end. Me too, and I, I like that shout-out there because it has been cool for you to just throw up a tweet, and, and people really bring it. I mean, the questions we're going to get to today are very creative, some really funny, uh, some really thoughtful, and you know, some uh, personal, which is cool. I like the listeners being a part of the show. So 
this lockout, we've we've relied on them. They've completely stepped up to the task, and it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's kind of a little blessing in disguise to take a breather and, you know, get to interact more with the mailbag section of the show. So that's been kind of cool. But I am with you, Joe, that, man, it's it's just disheartening right now how, you know, we were kind of bracing for this, that there would be very little movement early on. But as we sit here and record on January 18th in the evening, it kind of hits you that the countdown clock is about to appear on the screen, right? That you're like, whoa, now we're in the 30-day window of if something's not done in these 30 days, this is going to impact baseball. And and I know you're like me, Joe, and I, I fail to talk about this often. And I guess our show hasn't been going on long enough that, you know, that would make sense. I love spring training. Now, I know you get to go uh, sometimes. I have actually not gone, but, you know, my grandparents lived in Port St. Lucie, so my dad was down there a lot, and, you know, unfortunately, I I never got to experience that. But for me, during the draft season where I'm just, you know, either in my office at home just grinding through tape or even back in the day when I was, you know, pre-pandemic at Bleacher Report, having spring training on in the background – while doing, you know, my busy season, it's one of my most favorite things of the entire year. I have, and now they get the players mic'd up. Everybody's a little bit more loose. Obviously, optimism is usually at an all-time high. I would be crushed if this impacted the normal routine that is spring training. It surely is shaping up that it's going to, to some level. Like, there's no, there is no conceivable way that spring training kicks off when it's supposed to. Like, it's just not realistic to think that's going to happen. Now it's just a matter of how delayed is it and, you know, when do you actually impact regular season games? And I don't know that they'll necessarily play less than 162. I imagine they would just cook in some double headers. Like, that's what I think would be the solution. Um, but I'm with you. Seven lo- innings again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I love spring training. I'm with you. And the funniest part about spring training, obviously, you have to go whenever you get the chance, but covering the NFL draft, I can't envision that chance ever actually occurring because um, you're within a month of the draft basically for most of spring training. So probably tough for you. But my favorite part of going to spring training is going in the backfields and watch everyone warm up, see the prospects. Like, I mean, you know, I know I like to think I know a good amount of prospects. I talk about them all the time. I rank them, but it's really cool to see them in the flesh because I don't get to unless they are with Brooklyn or, you know, if they're in double A, like that's pretty much it. Cause then they're coming around me. Uh, I'm not being paid to fly around to see them. So I don't, I don't get to, so it's cool to get eyes on them. And the parts of the spring training games on TV I love are the parts that everybody else hates, which is the latter part of games where they're pulling the real players and they're putting in the prospects, the minor leaguers, the non-roster invites that are competing. Like to me, that's the more fun part of spring training games. Like, yeah, it's cool to see Pete Alonzo bat, but I'm going to watch Pete Alonzo bat for 160 games, you know, a couple of weeks from then. So, like, I love to see when they bring the prospects that are not major league invites because, you know, every camp you invite like a select group of minor leaguers and their non-roster invites and they wear number 77. They wear number 92, you know, things like that. But th- it even goes to the next level when they just need bodies, so to speak, to come up and, you know. Jake Mangum was one of those. Uh, the, tw- yeah, last year in spring training, you know, he came up and, you know, wore number whatever. It didn't even have a name on the back of the jersey. 
Like he was just like a super sub. Uh, Ronnie Mauricio has done it, a bunch of guys. So I like seeing those guys come up and just get the opportunity to play in those games. So yeah, it's a bummer. Spring training is not going to be normal. Um, now it's just a matter of how abnormal is it? Because uh, I believe in 2020, I saw I saw it written or talked about, I can't remember who, that they did twenty a 26-day spring training in the shortened COVID year in 2020, and both sides felt like that wasn't enough time. So are they going to agree to do 26 or less just because of a new CBA, even though they knew it didn't work? Uh, I guess I'm not putting anything past anybody. Yeah, it's it's a legit concern. There's so many variables. You know, we could wake up, and this isn't going to happen, but we could wake up, you know, at the end of the week and there's something done or they're getting closer or it could be six weeks from now and there's no traction at all. It's it's a genuine uh, mystery with the way, the history these two sides have. I think it's safe to say it's hard to ever be optimistic. But on a more optimistic approach, and by the way, Joe, I actually didn't tell you this. Um, I am actually going to sneak in a quick Arizona trip for Innings Festival this year. It is oh. the weekend before the NFL Combine, so I will be kind of in a spring training atmosphere, although we don't know what that is going to look like in the final weekend of February. So hopefully my schedule will pan out a little more that I legitimately can go to Mets spring training uh, one year, especially when I get down south for a lot of different draft stuff. But on a more optimistic note, the international signing period. It, this uh, I don't I don't want to say it went under the radar. If anything, maybe there was more eyes on it because there's no other baseball news. So initially, the thing that stands out to me is obviously the two guys that got big time signing bonuses. That's what you look at with this. And and Simon won $1.9 million and another outfielder, both outfielders. The second one is a switch hitter. And correct me if I say this wrong, Joe, Willie Fanyas, one point. That's what I believe. That's what I believe it is. I'm going with the squiggly thing over the end, making it Fanyas. By the way, it's it's Simone Juan. I found out. Simone. So it, yeah. So it is not. That makes sense. Not it, Simon. <laughs> and, and he and he actually has the accent over the O. So that's kind of how I figured it out. So it's actually Simone Juan, not uh, Simone not Simon. Juan. Yep. And Willie Fonius. That's what we're going right. with for sure. Uh, and that that checks out. And pretty big bonuses here uh, for mm. Juan, one point nine million for Fonius, one point five million switch hitter. And I know the pool was bigger than that. I think they ultimately ended up signing at least five or six guys that they were in the six-figure plus yeah. range, right? So we know for a fact that they signed three other guys for six figures. Um, and that, But they signed 21 overall. Like that's, yeah, huge that, class. Yeah, that, that's a, and just I had people ask me this on Twitter, and I didn't really answer on Twitter, but I guess it's a good place to say. Like, that's pretty normal. <laughs> Like that's a, that's a normal amount. Like people are like, is this more or less than years past, or is Steve Cohen flexing his muscle and they're just signing more play? Like this is pretty normal. The reality is they signed twenty one players, and you probably will never hear from most of them again. Like just sure. real being real here, you'll never ever hear their names probably ever again. But but the big time the guys, big Joe, ones. I, w- I want your thoughts on yeah. These are these are two, and maybe I just, I remember obviously when they signed Mauricio in this period, yeah. it was a huge bonus and yep. a lot of notable guys, but I was a little surprised they got two guys in this kind of range, 1.5 and 1.9 mil. It is the, so I, I'm pulling this from Jacob Resnick, um, signing Simone Juan and Willie Fanyas. They have signed two of the top one, two, three, four, five, 
tied for six. So six of all time in Mets history. So they signed two of the biggest bonuses for international free agency during this period. Uh, Simone Juan comes in at number four, like you said, 1.9 million. Um, ahead of him, Francisco Alvarez holds the record at 2.7. Ronnie Mauricio at 2.1. Um, Alex Ramirez at 2.05. And then under Simone Juan, you have Ahmed Rosario at 1.75. And Willie Fanyas tied with Adrian Hernandez at 1.5. Adrian Hernandez actually uh, retired. So he's not in baseball anymore. But the moral of the story is, if you look at most of those names, those are names of either prospects you know a lot about, a major leaguer in Rosario, or a guy like you know Alex Ramirez, who I'm starting to hype up a little bit more and more because I'm really excited about his potential. But Simone Juan, you know, I'll start with him. He's the you know the big fish, let's just call of the class. Uh, MLB Pipeline ranked him as the 16th best international prospect. Uh, Baseball America had him 14th. Uh, MLB Pipeline's write up of him is almost unfair to him. But uh, to, George Springer comp yeah, I saw somewhere so in there. Dangerous. It, it says uh, you know. He has the skill set of, at the same age, George Springer and Byron Buxton. Um, so, the rea- but let's talk the reality of Simone Juan. Uh, he was trained by Rafael Furcal, former uh, Braves All-Star shortstop. Uh, he is like a five-tool type of guy. He can run. Uh, he is a super projectable build. He's listed at 6'2", 195, which is actually you know pretty big, all things considered, for a 16 year old kid. But if you just watch that video, like I posted it a few times of him taking BP and, you know, him running around, like it's easily easy to see that this guy's going to fill out a little bit more and he's going to be able to come into some power. Uh, the ball grow. Yeah. <laughs> six two. He might be six five by the end of things. He could grow. I mean, it's impossible to tell, right. Um, if how they're going to grow hot height wise, but it's certain that he will end up weighing more at some point. Uh, but as he stands today, from a tools perspective, he has every bit of the five tool type potential that I talk about with Alex Ramirez. Uh, he shows power. Um, he has a great bat flip. They posted that in their video when they signed him. Uh, he can roam center field, shows the ability to go back on balls, uh, can run the bases. Like this is a guy that, you know, keep your eye on him. Like he's a guy that in a year from now, like he, probably won't play um, organized baseball in the United States this year. Chances are, if you see him play, he'll play in like the Dominican Summer League or something like that. But he's a guy that come, you know, 2023, he could make his debut potentially in like Port St. Lucie, be with the St. Lucie Mets. And, you know, this is a guy that has the potential. And, you know, I'm going to reiterate, he's 16 years old. So the certainly the range of outcomes are absurd. It could be a guy that never, ever hits or it could be the next all-star for the Mets. And he has that type of skill set, and the Mets believe enough in him to give him the fourth biggest bonus in team history. And uh, yeah, they sent they sent everybody to go see Simone Juan. So they're they're very interested in this kid. They've been, they've been working this for a long time. And uh, yeah, I think it's an exciting day to add someone like that to the farm system. And it's, you know, international signing, like you said, Joe, it can go a million different ways. It, the perfect example, when you brought up Hernandez earlier, who was, I think, tied with Fanyas for bonus, yep. they both came in at 1.5. That cl- I'm, I remember correctly, he came in with Ronnie Mauricio in the same year. Yep, in, in 2017. 2017, yeah. Yep. And 
you just look at how those two careers have gone. Mauricio is uh, obviously Ben, yeah. one of the best prospects in the Mets system, is a huge piece for them, whether that's going to be on the team in the future or trade ship, and really, really broke out with power last year, Where while Hernandez, you know, obviously has been hurt a lot, did not hit at all, and ultimately, like you said, retired at the end of the season, and, you know, you don't like to just, you know, call it like it is, but he's been... Uh, you know, just a failure of a signing while Mauricio was a home run. So it can just go completely either way. Yeah, that's 100% the case. I mean, Adrian Hernandez didn't hit at all, didn't show really much of anything. But you are signing these 16-year-old kids purely. It's honestly probably a scout's dream, honestly, this scenario, because you are drafting purely on tools and projection and like that's really putting your scout hat on like you don't you're not watching you know college baseball so like kumar rock or the mlb draft like you're comparing not only his skill set but you're at least to some level swayed by his performance in the sec like your signings of these kids are purely on tool and skill set so it's a it's definitely a much more fun process i imagine for scouts to be able to go through and, you know, the rewards are fantastic. I mean, you see a lot of these kids that just get money that utterly flip their family's life around because, you know, uh, a lot of people in the Dominican Republic, there's a lot of families that, you know, could really use the help. And, you know, you get a, a, a son who earns a million dollar bonus, like he flips that that family's life around. And then when they make the major leagues, the pride that the organization feels is insane and frankly as a fan like myself and someone who covers like i remember going up to wilmer flores when he was 17 years old with braces in the mets backfields in port st Lucie, and uh just talking to him like and he was speaking english at 17 like he learned english pretty quickly uh from tv yeah yeah exactly <laughs> from yeah friends. from friends so like i was talking you know at 17 to this kid. I remember him signing for, I, I believe he was like $600,000 or something as a 16 year old and being able to see him through the whole process into the major leagues, then being a key cog. Like to me, this is the, this is the definition of the American dream in a sense of just oh, coolest thing in the world. Yeah. It's the coolest thing to see these guys succeed. So like a guy like Simone Juan, you know, maybe you're not going to follow him like I am, but that's what I'm here for is the podcast and everything to keep you up to date on all this. But try to remember that name because in maybe not, you know, maybe a year or two from now. But once that time comes, I think we'll be talking about him in in a really positive light. You're absolutely right. It is the, you know, true the scouting experience to the fullest because these guys are so young. Obviously, they're getting sometimes bonuses past the million dollar mark because they are showing special ability and special traits. And it is obviously a risk of how those are going to develop. Now, this level of money is like chump change risk when you're looking at Steve Cohen. Like if a $1.5 million 16-year-old doesn't hit, it's like, okay, we missed. That stinks, but... You know, so you look at it like that, and you're 100% right. The Wilmore Flores story you have is really cool. I remember I was on, and I think I've talked about this a little bit. I don't know about if I've talked about it in the Mets pod. I was on the field um, for the Army All-American practices down in San Antonio the year Trevor Lawrence was a Army All-American. And 
Trevor Lawrence was a super recruit. He was a you know a lot of people around the football world knew of him in high school, but to still see him at what 16, 17 throwing the ball like an NFL caliber player on that field at the time and then a couple of years later I'm on the draft desk when the pick comes in that he's number 1 overall and breaking that down. You're 100% right. It's it's cool to see guys take that path and it is easy to say that you know, like the an Alvarez who got 2.7 million or a Mauricio who got 1.5 I think. Uh, around or maybe even more no, 2.1 Mar- right? yeah Mauricio was 2.1 he was over 2.1 two. yeah uh, or Trevor Lawrence that was a, a five-star recruit but you know you remember those stories and everybody yep. goes well everybody knew he'd be great there's 80 million more guys that were five-star prospects or multi-million dollar signing bonus guys that don't even sniff the pros either way so it yeah it, it just is so difficult to make it there no matter how gifted how talented you are um, that it's you're right. It is an incredible process, and it, it's cool that the Mets are obviously. This is going to be a huge thing for them moving forward. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I I'm listening to podcasts talk about the CBA, and it sounds like a international draft is very likely mm. to be a part of it. So this may be the last year this ever happens. It's oh, not. Oh wow, that would be yeah. fast. I mean, well, yeah, it, new CBA. Yeah, you're yeah, right. it could be this, or maybe they'll do one more year on the old system or whatever, but. Um, you know, the, these signings happen in advance, too. So, like, I don't know how much of a Steve Cohen effect it necessarily is here. Like, I mean, if you look back, like you could find write ups in like April of last year that the Mets were expected to sign Simone Juan. Like these things are worked out months and sometimes a year plus in advance. And, uh, you know, that that's part of the deal. And, you know, the one that definitely caught me was uh, Willie Fanyas. So going to touch on him really quick like he wasn't ranked as a top guy um he's not like a top 30 whatever which these rankings don't really particularly mean much uh much just just for reference if you go back to francisco alvarez's year the mets gave him 2.7 million which is the biggest in team history he was actually ranked as the 13th best international prospect in that class and he is now a top 10 prospect in all of baseball so don't go too crazy about these rankings. This is just to give you an idea of names and, and just know people. So Fanius wasn't ranked, but what's really interesting about him, and I'm not sure what caused this, but he's 17 years old and not 16. He was eligible to sign last international signing period, and he was supposedly going to sign with the Angels for something between $1.5 and $2 million, and it just didn't happen. So I, I can't tell you why. I am trying to find out, but I don't know. Uh, for some reason, he didn't sign, and it fell in the Mets' lap that they're getting a, another guy for $1.5 million that uh, Jesse Sanchez from MLB Pipeline talked about him as a five-tool potential prospect. I, I really hate throwing around five-tool because everyone just thinks of the best players in baseball. But by all accounts, from the limited video that I have seen of Willie Fanyas, I mean, he has a slender but powerful build. Um, there's a video certainly of a home run out there with a nice little bat flip. And you can tell when you watch like scouting baseball is something that I'm continuing to learn and I will continue learning for as long as I, as long as I do this. Um, but you could just hear it off the bat. It's, it's almost like, uh, have you ever seen the movie trouble with the curve? It's a bit corny with uh, Clint Eastwood and Justin Timberlake and those, and 
whoever the girl I am is. Not, but that's a wild cast to begin with for yeah. a baseball movie. It's on MLB Network. I mean, especially with the lockout, it's on MLB Network like every week. So you, I'm sure you could easily find it. It's it's a pretty corny movie, but uh, you know, you can. If I go to a minor league game, I can close my eyes when someone's up and you listen to the sound off the bat, like the, the real dudes, like you could hear it. And then obviously you have to visualize it and you have to break down mechanics. It's obviously way bigger than that. But when you look at guys like Simone Juan and you look at guys like Willie Fanyas, like at 16 years old, the sound off the wood bat, when they hit it, like you could tell that there is something there. Now, what will that all materialize into? Your guess is clearly as good as mine. And we'll find out in years. Like, I mean, these, these guys are four, five, six years from the major leagues. So like, it's, it's not necessarily the quickest of processes, but Fanyas is exciting, man. I I've seen very limited of them and, you know, I don't have like a scouting report to read from somewhere because no one, he, he wasn't listed on, you know, the top list here, but, if the Mets are giving him $1.5 million, they certainly see something in him. And he was supposed to be a million-plus guy last year. So clearly there's something with Willie Fanyas, and I'm very interested to find out the whole reasoning behind everything. And then, uh, yeah, just excited to add another prospect with you know a real size bonus into the farm system and you know continue to add because you'll add internationally. And then the MLB draft's going to come around with all the picks that are coming and, you know, you can really boost up a farm system pretty quickly if you're committed to it. I think what was cool, and if anybody's interested in seeing Fanyas, just take some BP, go to Jacob Resnick's page. He had some video of it. Uh, Something that stood out to me, Joe, was that as a switch hitter, the swing just looked as effortless on both sides. Everything was just very, very smooth and effortless, and there was really no difference in his mechanics uh, from either side of the plate. For a young player, I think... You know, that's just that's just natural or it's not. And I think with Fanya's yeah. that looks natural to me. Yeah. It's it's one of those unteachables, right? Like Exactly. Yeah. It's unteachable trait to, to just have it come naturally and look and look that way. And you know, these guys are, you know, somewhat mechanical, but um they're also but you could also just tell that it's not work for them to do it. So yeah, all in all, a pretty exciting day. Um if there was no MLB lockout, it would be much less exciting and it would be a footnote probably on, on the podcast, unfortunately. Uh, but with, you know, nothing going on, you know, I love talking about this kind of stuff. So I'm excited that Simone Juan, Willie Fanias and, you know, Jesus Baez and uh, uh, D'Angelo Sarmiento, like all these guys are coming into the farm system. And man, I can't wait to see all of them start playing ball. Well, speaking of the farm system, before we get into the mailbag for today, uh, we are going to be streaming on Thursday, probably around 4.30. Sometimes we'll kick off, you know, maybe a couple minutes later than that. Uh, if you missed last week's with Jake Mangum, it was it's always great. We had Jake on the pod the first year we did this pod, so it was nice of Jake to join us again, this time on a stream last week. Really good conversation on what he's been up to this offseason um, just talking Mets with him and how exciting it was even for a guy, a player in the Mets system to watch their offseason transactions. Um, but we will be back on streaming Thursday and we're going to talk MLB draft. And it's it's going to be that time of year, especially with the lockout, where we really get into the intro of this draft class. We've talked about it many times. Uh, the Mets are going to have, you know, two significant first round picks. And I 
like most of you listening to the show, I'm going to learn a lot of this draft class through Joe. And, and Joe, I kind of wanted to get your your really one-liner because I don't want to give away Thursday's stream. But you started on this draft class and obviously started at the top of it where the Mets are going to have some big-time action on this class. It, what is something that you're really excited for and maybe what's the the one-liner on this class? It could be that it has elite arms at the top. It could be a strong college class. What are you seeing early on before we get really into it on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, I'll say who's coming out on Thursday. I don't mind it. Uh, Joe Doyle from Prospects Live, and he does an absolutely fantastic job covering the draft. I mean, Prospects Live already has a top 300 board That's out amazing, for right? the MLB yeah. draft. Uh, so, you know, they're crushing it at all levels. So I know I've had many people, like when I ask for questions, I get multiple questions a week asking me about, something for the MLB draft. So I love how much people are getting into it. And, you know, that with the lockout, with football not happening anymore, like that's not a sport. I don't know why people watch it. But like with all that happening, um, I said, why not start to dive into the MLB draft a little earlier than I normally do? Because uh, typically I kind of just kick off when the season starts. Like I don't really like I, I read about names, I get familiarized, I'll watch like a little bit here and there, but really I just want to watch what they're doing in their draft season. Um, but now with nothing else going on and me having some free time in my life, I might as well get get a kickstart. Um, I just went to MLB Pipelines list. I've watched at least preliminary film on the top 10 players on their list. And, you know, I, I've talked to a couple people in the scouting world to kind of get a vibe of like, what should I be looking for? Uh, and by all accounts, I've been told the biggest strength of the glass is the high school bats, which is a model that the Mets really, really like to go to. And I'll tell you, Termar Johnson, second baseman from a high school in Georgia, is so far my favorite player that I've watched. Uh, he's a second baseman only, which I think may hurt him a little bit in the scouting world because like, they're looking for versatility, shortstop, etc. But this this kid has a pro ready bat. Um, the hit tool, just the pure hit tool, might be the best I've seen in a high school hitter in a in quite a few years. I I I I'd really have to go back and dive into like who I'd comp him to. But this is like a potential seventy hit tool. Like to me, Tamar Tamar Johnson's my favorite player. Uh, you have guys like Drew Jones, the son of Andrew Jones, which we're now at that age, Connor. That. We're just going to oh, see. Oh, yes, yeah, we are. <laughs> we're at that age. Like Drew Jones has a real chance to go number one overall. And, you know, he's a center fielder like his pops. He can play the heck out of center field. He can run. He's got a projectable body, projectable power. I don't know. I don't think the hit tool is quite there yet. It's still a little more raw than others, but he's obviously a fantastic prospect. Um, Elijah Green is another one. Like he's a bit of a freak show. I mean, he shows a little bit of everything. He's got a he's got a mature body already. Like at 18 years old, he's playing down at the IMG Academy in Florida. He's already 6'3", 225. Like he's he's pro, he's got a pro ready body. Um, he's got a lot of he's got swing and miss to his game that he really needs to work on. But he he looks like Justin Upton to me, man. Like I just watch him and I see Justin Upton. Like I try not to drop comps. I really avoid it, but that one just really screamed out to me. So, you know, the strength is really going to be in the high school bats. Uh, there's some really good high school arms. Keep an eye on guys like Dylan Lesko. 
uh, who's from Georgia. It's a lot of Georgia this year. I mean, Drew Jones is Georgia. Uh, Tamar Johnson's Georgia. And, and Dylan Lesko's in Georgia. Keep an eye on Brock Porter, um, Ian Ritchie, J.R. Ritchie, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Walter Ford's a guy that reclassified. He was supposed to be in the 2023 class, but I guess he's able to graduate or whatever. So he's now in the 2022 class. Uh, you have another prep bat that did the same thing. Cam Collier, he's a third baseman. Uh, he's the son of Lou Collier, who I think actually, he spent some time with the Mets. He was like a backup infielder. Do you remember Lou Collier? That last name sounds extremely yeah. familiar. Yeah. Well, his son's, you know, a first round top 20 type prospect. Uh, there's some good college bats. I mean, you look at Jacob Barry, you don't know where he's going to play, but he can absolutely hit. Brooks Lee, uh, shortstop from Cal Poly. You have Jace Young, the third baseman from Texas Tech, and it's Young, J-U-N-G, which you may recognize that last name because his brother was a first-round pick for the Texas Rangers. So uh, more bloodlines there. But my favorite early on college bat is Chase DeLauder, the outfielder from James Madison. Uh, he's a firmly built 6'4", 235, plays center field now, probably going to play a corner. Dude can absolutely rake. And, you know, right now he's probably my favorite college player. And uh, another another little fun guy that I want to mention that I haven't watched yet, I'm going to. He's number 11 on MLB's list, so he's coming up soon. Uh, Robert or Bob Moore, the second baseman from Arkansas. He is the son of the Kansas City Royals general manager, Dayton Moore. So his son is a borderline top 10 prospect in this class. But, you know, that's kind of like a high notes version on – you know, just some just some names. Um, I don't know which ones will potentially be there at 11. You know, uh, when I talked about Tamar Johnson on Twitter yesterday, I had people coming. He won't be there at 11. Well, let me make it clear. I'm covering the draft on a broad sense. As we get closer, I'll certainly put a focus on guys that I think fit the Mets mold, have a realistic shot of being there. And, you know, we'll also touch on people that could fall. I mean, we talked about Kamar Rocker for a month before it happened as something that could happen and it was not unrealistic and so the draft's unpredictable but i'll tell you as much as i will know i don't think i'll know as much in five months as joe doyle knows today <laughs> uh so really excited for that stream uh on thursday joe's gonna be great the, so check out what they do at prospects live if you look up to i, I find these really interesting if you all care uh, if you look up prospects live 2022 mlb draft show on youtube they have interviews with elijah green all these guys already like they're pounding through interviews with these top prospects so you can get to get to know these people a little bit too and yeah super excited to dive into draft stuff and i sincerely appreciate the fact that mets fans are so invested because there was a time that the only person i gave a crap about this was me <laughs> and look at you now you are the go-to guy and that was an awesome rundown of the top of this class I mean obviously I've heard some of the big names it's hard to miss Drew Jones we've heard about him for at least two years now um, but it'll be great to have Joe Doyle on when you just go to his Twitter which is at Joe Doyle M-I-L-B I mean the top pin tweet is a top 300 you can click on that's built off of film data and industry dialogue, which is very similar to how uh, we do the NFL draft. So it's it's really cool to see that parallel with MLB. It'll be great to have him on. It'll be great to see you guys kind of break down some of these top prospects and really give our audience an intro. 
and this is the perfect year, right? I mean, the Mets have a serious amount of draft capital in a time where they are desperately trying to rebuild this system in a draft class that, of course, has a lot of exciting talent. Um, and that's a deep, been a deep class. A yeah, deep, everybody's yeah. been – I mean, you don't even have to be really deep in it. You could be like myself that follows it as much as I can, and just everything you hear is – 2022 is going to be better and deeper than 2021. So no question, I, it's going, it's going to yeah. be a fun stream, man. I'm look. I know you're looking forward to it. I'm oh, looking I, forward to it. This I can't. Be I, awesome. I cannot wait. I'm super excited. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a deeper class than 2021. For example, some of this is you know related to the injury risk or whatever. But Kamar Rockers ranked outside of the top 30 prospects on MLB Pipeline's list right now. A lot of that, I think, is based around the medical question marks that now are there because of what happened with the Mets. But this is a guy that we thought it was a joy that he fell to number 10 where the Mets could take him. And he's now he's as of now being looked at as a borderline first round prospect in general. So, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of how that all unfolds. I hope Kamara has a good spring and, and bounces his stock back. But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a really fun stream. And, you know, I'm excited to get going. And, you know, it is my vow that this will be, I will be the most informed about a draft class this year than I've ever been before. My goal is to do that every year. But I feel like this year I have a little extra motivation because the Mets are going to have so many picks in the top 100. And I want to be able to tell you everything there is to know about everyone they take with those picks. And I have a funny feeling you will be, once again, the guy on SNY breaking down every pick as they come in, which was awesome to see last year, and I know it's going to be bigger and better this year. And I think it's awesome how much of a part of we're making our podcast, you know, a portion of it to the draft where someone like me, a lot of people listening, will not know as much as you, but will will know things. We'll be ready. You know, for so many years, how many years did the MLB draft go by? And like the, after the top three to five names go, it's like, all right, I'm not going to know who the Mets pick at 16 or whatever it is. Yeah. Then you listen to the 30 seconds on TV <laughs> and they throw some wild player comp out and you're like, yep. cool, great. Can't wait. It's cool that those days are behind us. Yeah. And I, I, what I really appreciate about being able to have this podcast is the fact that everybody wants to know about this stuff. Like, yes. Yeah. Like the demand the, for it exists. The demand for draft content, prospect content. Like I, I mentioned about the draft that no one gave a crap. Like when I first started covering Mets prospects, th there wasn't really anyone else doing it. No one, no one really cared. Now it's just a bigger part of the game. So, you know, I love having this outlet where, uh, you know, we're able to talk about it and, you know, fans and people that listen and subscribe and everything, you all want to know about it. And, you know, I, I've seen people tweet us like when we tweet, uh, did the interview with Calvin Ziegler, we did the interview with Jake Mangum. Responses on Twitter are more prospect content. So the desire is there. So now I am here to give it to you. So let's uh, let's get excited for draft season. I mean, we're months from the draft. It's going to be an all star week again. So the draft is not till July. So it's not like, you know, the NFL draft, it feels like it's almost early to start talking about it. But the MLB draft is like three months after that. So we'll sprinkle it in. We're not going to overwhelm you with draft stuff now. But as we get closer and closer to it, it's going to be a heavy draft focused uh, a pod. And yeah, like like you said, SNY, hopefully I keep doing I do the same stuff I did last year because that was super fun. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. 
If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes, I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss, if you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. All right, let's look at the mailbag and with the draft, hopefully the Mets are playing winning baseball. So we have the perfect combination, but let's take a look at this week's mailbag, like we said, you guys sent us pretty awesome stuff. And we're going to start off with iTunes, because like we said, we always try to get to those. Thank you for the review, Henry Strauder, who asked, why do NFL rookies go right from college to the pros, but in baseball, it can take them years to get there? So the easy one-liner from my side of this, and Joe, I know you're going to have a different thought to add to this, is that football already has a free developmental system that is college football right like you can go from playing college football at a high level to also playing at a high level in the NFL just a year later if you the perfect example is the first round from this year this was in my years of doing this one of the most translatable first rounds and there's millions of names that you know right like Jamar Chase um you know, on and on and on, the big names, the skill guys, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Najee Harris, but, like, guys like Rashawn Slater, Elijah Vera Tucker, like, offensive linemen, they, you know, obviously Micah Parsons, Joe, massive hit. The first round was just loaded with guys that were, some of them not even playing college football last year. They sat out the year and came in and dominated at the NFL almost right away. It's, that transition is not that crazy, and there is also a money side to it where you have guys on a rookie deal, you want to get the most out of that before it's time to pay them, where in baseball, that clock starts when you call them up for a certain amount of time, which I'm sure most of you remember with the Pete Alonso situation was, you know, there's a debate, do they call him up now? It would start his free agency early, and then Pete went on to have an incredible rookie year, and it was a great choice. So football, there's always this talk behind the scenes, you know, do they need a developmental league? 
for the back end guys on a 53 man roster, things and they haven't survived yet, but things like the AFL or the XFL are good for that purpose because it keeps guys playing and it helps you find diamonds in the rough for the back end of your roster and your practice squad. Uh, but in terms of them needing like a true minor league system, it, it's not needed because college football exists as that and it doesn't cost them a dime. Yeah, this is a tough one. Like, I like to think I have a good answer for everything, but I, I've thought about this a little bit. And for me, it's just these these kids just aren't polished when they enter pro ball. I mean, I I talked about Simone Juan shortly ago. Like, that's a 16-year-old. That's a different story. Like, clearly, he's going to take time. He needs to physically mature. But, w- like, when you're a batter, when you're in high school, when you're in college, you might see 95, 96 here and there you might see a real breaking ball here and there. When you enter pro ball, everybody's throwing 95. Everybody has a hammer curve or a nice slider. Like the ones who don't are, you know, obviously not major leaguers, but like a good percentage of even minor leaguers that don't make the major leagues have that kind of stuff. And when you're coming up, you're just not seeing that. I mean, if you're playing like, you know, Drew Jones, we'll use him as an example. He's at a high school in Georgia. I'm sure he's facing some good pitching. But he's probably not facing professional kind of pitching. He's facing guys that throw 85 miles an hour, 87 miles an hour. And, you know, maybe have like a little get me over curveball that you're, you know, able to hit. So you have that. And then the approach like in pro ball. Now guys are pitching backwards to you. Like you're not getting a fastball when you expect to get a fastball. You'll get a breaking ball. Like when I've talked to many guys that are like, you know, when I was in college, I knew when I came up, it was fastball, fastball, breaking ball. Like if they got two strikes, they were throwing a breaking ball in the dirt. Like it's just very predictable. Pro ball, much less so. Um, And then on the pitching side, you have, you know, we talked to Calvin Ziegler about it, right? He doesn't, you know, he's confident and, you know, his changeup's growing. He's, you know, working on it, but it's not there yet. So he really has two pitches. And if all you have is a fastball and a breaking ball, Pro hitters are going to hit you. So it's it's kind of that tough balance of, you know, development. And you'll always have the exceptions to the rule. Like Juan Soto came up at an absurd age. Bryce Harper. Like, if you're a truly special player, you you will get there, you know, in relatively quick order. Um, but that's kind of the best way I think I can describe it is where you come from, you're not seeing pro caliber stuff. Uh, whereas in football, you know, everyone's getting drafted from the SEC. So if you play in the SEC, you're playing a bunch of NFL players. Um, In Major League Baseball, it's really not a high percentage of guys that are getting drafted, even from the SEC. So you may face, you know, a a Friday starter. Like in in college, basically the focus is on the Friday starter. That's usually the best pitcher on the team. They pitch every Friday night. So like every Friday night in the SEC, you'll probably face an MLB draft pick of some kind. But the guy who pitches on Saturday and Sunday and during the week, those guys are just college guys, which are good, but they're not going to, you know, necessarily take that step. And then I'm focusing on minor league baseball. Forget about when you get into the major leagues, what those guys are capable to do, locating pitches when when they throw them, you know, throwing a curveball with 18 inches of vertical drop on it. Like imagine trying to hit that just like straight out of high school. You're not going to. So it just takes more time, I think, for those kind of reasons. And, you know, football is just obviously a little different that I think these guys are 
are really groomed for the NFL in college, whereas in college baseball, the focus is on winning. It's not about, I mean, Jake Mangum told us that on the YouTube stream last week. He was like, I knew what my job was at Mississippi State. It was to be a slap hitter, get on base, score runs, help the team win. That was it. They weren't working on his power or his intent at the box for the sake of his professional career. They only cared about him you know, winning games in Mississippi State, whereas you see a lot of these college programs in football. You could tell me if I'm wrong, but they're they're grooming guys for what they're going to do in the NFL, not just what they're doing at Oklahoma or Alabama or et cetera. Yeah, I think that's perfectly said, honestly. And th- that's exact difference is the, the sh- you know, too long, don't read kind of thing is like, is that it's the transition is different, right? And I said this when it was funny to me when everybody was freaking out last year about Jamar Chase not playing. And they're like, okay, this guy's talked about as the superstar prospect. We well, didn't even play last year. And I'm like, cool. Do you realize when he was 19 in 2019, when he won a national championship, was the best receiver in the country, he was burning A.J. Terrell, who that season that Jamar Chase sat out, A.J. Terrell was a first-round pick and starting in the NFL. And then this year, A.J. Terrell was one of the best corners in the NFL. So, like, you're right, Joe. Like, these guys are seeing each a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, there's so much one-on-one tape that there's going to be more of those same matchups in the NFL. And in baseball, that just doesn't exist. It, it Very rarely. Like, basically never. So the transition is just totally different. It's a good question from Henry. I, I appreciate that from iTunes. It is, um, it's very layered. There's a lot of different reasons, but once yes. again, the, the one liner is the transition, but it's deeper than yep. that. Okay. The next one from James Costanzo, he basically just sent us a screenshot of Jim Bowden's uh, proposed trades from an article written on the athletic. I will read them, but uh, I'll read the first one. We'll discuss, and then I'll read the second one. The first one, to me, was just the biggest of no's I could ever, uh, ever imagine. It is Jeff McNeil, Dom Smith, and JT Ginn for Josh Hader. Number one, uh, I hate trading for relievers. Number two, holy over... And I know Hader's great. Do not get me wrong. But I'm a big believer in McNeil. I... You know, there is value to Dom on this team in some way or maybe in a separate trade, and they cannot trade the one arm that we're excited about in their system right now that's healthy. Joe, what was your takeaway on this one? So Jim Bowden gets a lot of crap. So I, I want to just – He does. Yeah. And what he, I, I, he what I want a lot say, of content, so I kind of right. feel for him. And what I will say is just so people know, Jim Bowden asked for fans to submit trade proposals and he would grade them essentially. So he didn't come up with this trade. Uh, some, that's my bad. Some, But either way, he still talked about it and he gave his thoughts. And by the way, his thoughts were the Mets should do this too, by the way. That's, so, so that's yeah. the part I read that right. I thought it was his. Right. I was yeah. like, oh, he must like this. So somebody, so basically if you, if you read it through, uh, basically it's fan proposed things. Some of them he craps on, some of them he likes, some of them he tries to make substitutions. Um, but as far as this goes, like, I'm with you. Like, Josh Hader is the best reliever in baseball. But I am not trading multiple years of Jeff McNeil, multiple years of Dom Smith, and a prospect like JT Ginn. Like you said, the only high-level starting pitcher that is healthy in the farm system. And Matt Allen, fantastic prospect. All the upside in the world. But we touched on that, you know, the other week that 
Right now, it's the theory of Matt Allen. There's no substance to it. So we need to see him come back and, and be the way he was. And then, you know, we'll have a conversation about how how great he could be. So, yeah, this is way too much for me for Josh Hader. Um, if they want to trade Josh Hader, I'll make the call. But if it's anything near this, I can't do it. Like, I'm not that desperate to add uh, another reliever to to the system or to to the bullpen. Like, obviously, they're going to need a lefty and Hader. It doesn't matter what hand he's throwing with. He's he's obviously that good. And he would, you know, he would he is the guy that would push Edwin Diaz out of the closer role. Like uh, I've had some back and forths on Twitter with people who are just like, you have to replace Diaz. And I'm like, tell me who you're replacing him with. And usually it's just no answers or someone who's not as good as Diaz. Hater is a guy that would push Diaz out of the closer's job. Uh, with that said, that's that's just far too much to pay for a reliever. Yeah, unhittable except when he's facing Jose Peraza. All right, the second trade was, and I liked this one better. As much as it's a a massive pay, uh, I actually loved this trade. It was J.D. Davis, okay? Ronnie Mauricio, it's a big one. Ginn again, who, once again, don't want to give him up. And David Peterson. So four-player package going for Cattell Marte. Uh, Under team control, obviously a star. This one lines up a little bit more for me. What did you think? I like this one a lot. Um, this one's much more in line. Cattell Marte is a versatile guy that can play multiple outfield spots. He could play second base for you. Uh, just look at his numbers. I mean, this is a guy that's consistently produced in the batting average and on-base percentage realm. Uh, he has some power. Like He hit 32 in 2019, so I don't know that he's necessarily a 30 home run bat, but Cattell Marte is a stud. So this one makes a lot of sense uh, to me. And funny enough, Jim Bowden uh, responded to that one and said it wasn't enough for Cattell Marte, which I can respect. And he said if he was Arizona, he would counter with Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty for him. And yeah, uh, no way. No, thank you. But Cattell Marte is a guy that if Arizona wants to shop him, which I don't know why they would. Uh, I would certainly make the call. And if I could get him for something around the realm of this package that you mentioned, I'm very interested. Yeah, I think it's um, I, I think it's one of those ones where it's somewhere in the middle, right? It's not Alvarez and Beatty, but it's also, I think, way too light for Arizona, the J.D. Mauricio, Ginn, and Peterson trade. So, And that would tr- signal a true, like, we're giving up kind of thing from Arizona. So trading Marte would send a really bad message to that fan base, but had to discuss on the show, especially right now, we we really have no real Mets (laughs) off season news. So I threw this on here. Thanks to James Costanzo. Okay. The next one from Patrick Chamberlain. This is a fun one. He goes, how about a say something nice segment? Say something nice about the Wilpons, Chase Utley, John Rocker, Roger Clemens, the Yankees, the Braves, the Phillies, the Marlins, and the Nationals. Joe, would you like to do the honors, or do you want me to take this away while you think about it? Are, are we going to go back and forth, or am I going through all of them first? I think we rapid fire them. All right, so you want me just to just go through them all? Yeah, take okay. it away. All right. Uh, the Wilpons, they really actually did want to win. It just financially, there just wasn't it wasn't there. They weren't able to financially support after Madoff, but they they had a passion for the Mets winning, and I think it goes a little underspoken about because of obviously the way that they were run. But they did want to win. Uh, Chase Utley, um, I, I don't I don't like him. Uh, 
trying to think. What could I say that's nice about Chase Utley? Man, he made all-star teams. That was really cool. Uh, John Rocker, he's evasive, able to avoid batteries. Roger Clemens. <laughs> uh, Roger Clemens. You know, I'm going to say it. Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. I think he's a Hall of Yeah, Famer. I think that's fair. The Yankees, they are one of the two richest baseball teams in New York. Very uh, true. The Atlanta Braves. This is tougher than I thought it would be. Um because I, I don't want to. I don't want to I don't want to say anything nice about any of these t- people. Freddie Freeman's great, man. Yeah, Fre- I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Freddie. Say it. Yeah, Freddie Freeman's Fre- awesome. Freddie Freeman's the man. I like that. That's a good one. Freddie Freeman's the man. Um, the Phillies. This one's gonna be really unpopular, but I love Bryce Harper. Yeah, I do too. I've always loved Bryce Harper, even yeah. when he was on Washington. Like he's a thorn in our side, and he's a jerk at times. But I'll tell you, man, like that's a dude that it's very. You know, he's he's probably not going to go in the same history books as this guy, but he's he's the baseball LeBron James in the sense like at 15 years old, this guy was deemed the future of baseball and he has basically lived up to it. Yeah, he's lived up to everything. He doesn't really do much wrong, like he's not getting in trouble. And I commend the fact that Bryce Harper signed that contract with the Phillies where he went 13 years, no opt out. He was just like, look, I'm trying to find my forever home in baseball. And, I, yeah, I like Bryce Harper. He doesn't bother me as much as other people. The Florida Marlins, their jerseys were so much better than the Miami Marlins. Um, the Washington Nationals. Uh, what do I like about the Washington Nationals? That's the one that I have truly nothing for. Um, nothing. Like, uh, the... This is riveting podcast content, by the way. I'm just, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I'll um, let you think of the Nationals yeah. and I'll run away yeah. with this. All right, run through. I'll try to think. The Wilpons, I, I think Fred genuinely loved the Mets. And I think Fred was honestly, his intentions were in the right place for the most part. I, I the, All the problems are with Jeff, who's a total rodeo clown. Um, but I think Fred really did care. And you know what? Thank you to them for realizing that it was time to go away and sell to Steve Cohen. Chase Utley, he gave me one of my favorite experiences as a Mets fan after he broke Tejada's leg, which was not one of my favorite experiences. I was at the game where he came back to City Field, and they just held the camera on him, and everybody ripped him to shreds in the crowd. So I'm really grateful for Chase Utley uh, for being, you know, honestly kind of shitty that he did that to Tejada. I don't remember him ever apologizing. And he came to City Field and made for a hell of a moment, and the Mets then slaughtered the Dodgers uh, in that game and in that series. John Rocker, I mean, another guy, thank you for enraging the New York fans. There is nothing better than pissing off us New York baseball fans because we will destroy you if you deserve it. And John Rocker is a pretty terrible human that absolutely deserved it roger clemens i agree with you joe hall of famer as much as he's had his problems obviously didn't love the whole piazza thing but he's a great player the yankees um eh, i'll say it's easy to get to yankee stadium from when i used to go to midtown every day so when the mets played at yankee stadium 
couple times I went up there, that was nice. Rather than sitting on the 7 train for nine hours when the express isn't running or whatever it may be. So thanks for being located where you are. The Braves, like I said, uh, Freddie Freeman, as much as we hate the Braves and hate playing against him, Freddie Freeman's an awesome dude, and I wish he was on any other team because he'd be so easy to root for. The Phillies, I hate the Phillies. I think their uniforms from the 80s are awesome, though. I think that's one nice thing to say about them. The Marlins, I loved the Dontrell Willis era, as short as it was. As much as it, he obviously killed the Mets, like there was nothing like when the D-Train was... Firing on all cylinders. And I agree with your take, Joe. They had pretty pretty great uniforms before the Miami Marlins. And the Nationals, I, I truly, I have, I hope you thought of something because I have, this is the only one on this list, I have nothing nice to say about the Nationals. The Nationals had given the Mets some cool recent moments. You had the Todd Frazier walk-off. Yes, they off. have. You had Yoannis Cespedes come in, basically fresh off the trade in a national series and really like kickstart that run. Wilmer Flores. Wilmer crying. Flores, of course, crying there. Um, David Wright, like you remember that moment where they were working towards clinching and you got the big fist pump like that they always air on TV. So like, thank you for the nationals for like giving the Mets some cool moments over the last few years. Cause you weren't always that good. Uh, you want a world series. Good for you. But you know, Patrick, I, I appreciate you trying to bring out the positive side of Connor and I, but it's very clear that it challenged us. Yeah, it challenged us. But it's very clear that we have uh, we have our own issues that we need to work on that. If we don't like something, it's very hard to say something nice about it. <laughs> That's why I put it in there, because I was like, this is actually going to be genuinely hard. We probably should have game planned through it before the oh, pod. So we, we didn't leave you guys with dead air. So we're sorry for that. Eh, you know what? That's kind of that. Yeah, we're kind of sorry. It's, it's authentic. A, yeah, it's an authentic conversation. Like it was in the rundown. I knew it was there. But like it was I think it was evident at the start that we were very unprepared in the sense that it was just like, do you want to go back and forth? Do you want to just rapid fire? Yeah, yeah, I'll just run through them. Cool. And yeah, went off the top of the head. So maybe could have prepared better. But you get the real Joe and Connor on that. So Mets. All right. Last question is from Matt K. Miller, 13. He said, I'm a Mets fan from the Midwest. I've been to Shea. I've never been to City. Bring in my 15-year-old son. What should we do, sit, eat, drink? So eat, um, I always say Pat Lafrida's steak sandwich is my favorite thing in the ballpark. I know, Joe, you are old school hot dog uh, kind of guy. Seating. So keep in mind, you're coming from the Midwest. You can't screw this up. I would say <sighs> City Field, I've sat in a lot. I think I've sat almost everywhere in City Field. My favorite place I think I've sat, and it's not the nicest place I've sat, but my favorite place I think I've sat was right below where the SMY booth, where Gary, Keith, and Ron are, that yep. general area. You are about mid-tier of the stadium, but still really low because City is built where you're always close to the field. Still really low, but you can see every single part of the ballpark. You are in foul ball territory. You have club access, so your food and bathroom situation is pristine. It's, in my opinion, the best seat in the house all around. So I sat there for the first time for a Subway Series game uh, this past year. I went with one of my buddies that's a Yankees fan, pro wrestler, and uh, we've sat, we sat right there, like to a, a section or, or so over from like where Gary Keith and Ron are, like behind home plate. 
that view was amazing. And I am actually going to ride with you on that because I typically, where I typically sit is right above that. I sit in the 400s, the front couple rows there directly behind home plate. So you, I prefer a spot behind home plate. Obviously, I mean, uh, I don't know if Matt's like a baller and he wants to drop some money to sit lower level right behind home plate and the big comfy chairs and whatever. Like if you can, I've done that too. And that's a pretty cool way to experience the game. Cause at that point you're really seeing what 95 looks like. Cause you're oh, right yeah. there. Um, so like, that's a pretty cool view. So I, I would say, I think what we're agreeing here is that you want to be somewhere behind home plate for second or third level. Doesn't really make a crazy difference. It's just a matter of what you're looking for. Like if you're closer, you'll get more of an appreciation for the speed of the game. If you go a little further up, you'll lose a little bit of the speed of the game, but your view will be of everything. Like I don't like, I don't prefer sitting on the baselines or anything like that. Cause then you have some uh, spots that you can't see like in the corners and things like that. So I like being in a spot where you could see it all. Um, I think I'm going to ride with you on the 300 level. I think that's probably the best place to sit. And it's pretty solid bang for your buck. Like you're not, you're not getting those seats for 20 bucks, but you're also not spending, you know, $300 to sit there either. So I think that makes sense. As far as food, I'm not a traveler. Is Shake Shack everywhere or is that a local thing? Shake Shack is not everywhere. So like if you but don't it's have. It's not like it's insanely local. Okay. So like. You don't do you... need to experience Shake Shack at City Field. I'll well, clarify that. I'm just, I'm trying to think of something unique. Like it, it, it you know, Come Shake Shack. Hoboken, there's no line of the Shake Shack. Yeah. Shake Shack's not unique for us, but I don't know. Is, is there Shake Shack in the Midwest? I mean, if there's not, then, you know, maybe that could be worth a try. Like you said, Pat Lafrida steaks, obviously great. Um, they have so much stuff, like whatever you're into, they have something for you. It's, it is, I've been to quite a few ballparks and City Field is the most diverse as far as food options. Um, like you said, when I go, I'm having the old standard hot dog or a burger and fries and a beer. Like that's what I roll with. But uh, you know, whatever your taste is, they I promise they have something that'll meet it. So yeah, I think City is a great place um to to take in a ball game. I can't wait until they eventually renovate the area around it. Um as far as things to do, I mean, there's really really not a ton per se to do as far as like activities, especially with your kid being 15 or 16 uh, by the time you actually get there. Cause if he was a little kid, I'd say they have like the wiffle ball field or whatever, where you, they have like the wiffle ball for like the dimensions of city field or whatever. And you know, little kids mash dingers. Uh, I don't think they have 16 year old kids doing that, but yeah, take in a game, take, get a good seat, find the kind of food you want. Um, and yeah, I think I think City Field's a great place to take in a game. And you know, if you wait, you know, maybe a, in a few years, it'll be something where you're gonna have things to do outside of the stadium. Because frankly, it's the only things there is to do is what you could do inside the walls of City Field. You, there's nothing outside of it. That is a very very good point. I think that was well uh, summed up. And and good luck to Matt on his trip to City Field. It really is. I, I've been to a couple of ballparks, and City Field is a uh, tremendous ballpark, a tremendous game day experience. So, with that being said, another great mailbag, episode seventy-seven. Joe, closing thoughts. Was it a uh, was it an okay episode? That 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 was a good. That was a pretty good one, I think. So, yeah, no. Again, appreciate all the support from everyone. Uh, you know, 
everyone's still subscribing, everyone's still listening, everyone's invested asking questions. Like you could have easily been like baseball's off. I don't need to hear these guys talk. But really, we're doing as good as we've ever done. So really appreciate everyone and uh, the YouTube channel, like we mentioned Thursday, be there for that stream with Joe Doyle. It's going to be at 4.30 ish Eastern time. Uh, make sure you go on the That's So Mets YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, we are at 972 subscribers as I look at this very moment. We need to be at 1,000. So everyone listening right now, just do it. Just go subscribe. There's got to be 28 of you that have heard us talk about it and not gotten around to do it. Now's the time to get around to doing it. We want to get to 1,000 and join us Thursday where we'll talk to Joe. We'll really dive into the MLB draft and, uh, yeah, really start to get you prepared for the months ahead. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Episode 77. You can write it down as the Anthony Bonda episode. Thanks so much, everyone. And we will catch you on the draft stream Thursday. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades long struggle of black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.